The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Today is the first of a series of shows featuring individuals who've been wrongfully convicted. In the last 25 years, there have been almost 1,500 known people who have been convicted of crimes they didn't commit. Yes, they went to prison for crimes committed by others. PSD Classified appreciates this opportunity to share these compelling exoneree stories of the world. And today, Anthony Murray joins the show. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Anthony, you were wrongfully convicted of first-degree murder in Illinois in 1998. I guess that was about 16 years ago. Yes, ma'am. Just amazing. And then also on the show is Professor Larry Golden. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And Professor, uh, you're the founder of the Illinois Innocence Project, formerly the Downstate Innocence Project. Yeah, I'm one of the founders. There were, you know, really three of us that put this together back in 2001, and it, it's a rather unique project among all of the innocence organizations in the country where we, we use undergraduate students as well as law students to work mm-hmm. on cases uh, to help exonerate people, and it's based out of an undergraduate university, uh, the University of Illinois at Springfield, um, and... Uh, uh, it, 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 as I say, it's, it's a unique organization, and we were privileged to be able to work and help Anthony on his case. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, before you got into the Innocence Project, you were uh, a professor at the University of Illinois at Springfield? That's correct. Um, you know, I, 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 my background is with a, a, a PhD in uh, political science, and but my teaching throughout my career has been on issues of civil liberties, civil rights, and social justice and law. And so this was a natural <clears throat> to get involved in, in this kind of an activity. I mean, it just, and, and, and I will say that it's been the most extraordinary experience mm-hmm. of my career um, uh, in, in, in being able to make that transition. I retired from full-time teaching in 2004 so that I could spend most of my time working uh, on, on the Innocence Project work. And, um, uh, and, and, and then in 2010, we transitioned from the Illinois Innocence, the Downstate Illinois Innocence Project to the Illinois Innocence Project, where we take cases all over the state of Illinois. 
And are you still the director of the project? I'm one of the directors. I'm, okay. I'm, I've transitioned again into what's called the founding director, and our executive director, legal director, is um, a lawyer by the name of John Hanlon, who had spent years doing death penalty work here in Illinois and is just an extraordinary um, person to have working with us, given uh, the background he's had on some of the, the major innocence cases in Illinois history. And you mentioned John Hanlon. He actually represented Anthony. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, I understand, Professor, that you ho- hold the esteemed title at the University of Professor Emeritus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how esteemed it is. When, when, we, <laughs> when we retire um, we, we, we can, from full-time teaching again, we can apply for emeritus status and... Um, uh, no, I, I, I mean, I should view it as an honor, but, um, but you know, it, it, it's not like it brings a lot of uh, privileges or anything like that. But it, it, I'm working at the university. Actually, I'm, I have been volunteering probably 95% of my time. I don't get mm-hmm. paid for very much for the work that I'm doing uh, with the Innocence Project uh, here, um, and even though I'm, I'm one of the directors. And uh, along with John Hanlon, we teach a class for students here um, on conviction of the innocent and recruit students to work with us on the project, um, some of whom work, um, as Anthony knows, on, on his case, along with students from the University of Illinois and um, uh, Southern Illinois University Law Schools, they, they also work to help Anthony uh, gain his freedom. And I, and I know this is a tough road, Professor, because uh, you're not funded, really. You have to depend on grants, don't That's- you? Thank you very much. I, I I didn't want to be seen as too greedy in making a pitch this early for, but that is correct. Um, we 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 are not funded by the university directly, or we generally have not been. Uh, when we started this project, it was it, so we've been working out of grants. Probably the latest uh, work that we're doing is uh, with regard to cases that may involve DNA testing, um, and we've had. Um, a, a, a substantial grant from the federal government on that, and then we've got a smaller one for um, some of our non-DNA cases. But we we depend very heavily on private um, uh, contributions, and I'm hoping that maybe some of the listeners might even be, be able and willing to go to our our website and and support the work that we're doing. Um, unfortunately, innocence projects throughout the country generally don't have a, a funding base. Um, the, the, the society is less concerned with providing help to people like Anthony, who might have been wrongfully convicted, than they are providing um, help for prosecutors to uh, continue to prosecute cases and um, all the way through the process. Once you are convicted in this country um, and go through a very quick look at the case. You are on your own. You are presumed to be guilty. Mm-hmm. You're pres- Anthony was presumed to be guilty uh, throughout this whole process, and we had to find a way of, of proving that, that, in fact, he deserved to be released, that, in fact, he did not do the crime. Um, and, uh, and when we succeed, like in a case like Anthony's, um, it, it, it's one of the most exhilarating experiences for us, mm. even though it's been so, and p- partly because it's been so hard for, for people like Anthony. It's just, I mean, to be able to give 
them part of their life back as difficult and trying as it has been and we've worked through this and we cry with Anthony and we celebrate with Anthony uh, almost weekly now Mm -hmm. (laughs) well you guys you all have had uh, some great successes you've had four exonerations well actually we've had um, six people that we've worked with that we've been able to help get released and um, Anthony uh, Anthony's case was followed up by um, a woman by the name of Peggy Joe Jackson, uh, who spent 26 years in prison for um, allegedly participating in the killing of her husband, um, and we were able to get her sentence um, uh, commuted by the governor um, a year ago, April, um, so that um, she now is able, she's moved out of Illinois, and she's able to to try to pick up some of the pieces of her life. Um, And in our earlier days, when we were just doing investigative work alone, uh, helping uh, attorneys, uh, we participated, and four other um, uh, people helping them to get released. Well, congratulations. It's, I mean, really, you're doing God's work with this. Do you want to give the website uh, if people are interested in pursuing this or making a contribution? Sure, that would be great. Uh, it's www.uis.edu. Okay, uh, and UIS stands for University of Illinois? That's right. University okay. of Illinois slash Innocence Project. Okay, very forward good. Forward slash Innocence Project. And you can probably get to it even by Googling Illinois Innocence Project if anyone forgets that. It's the Illinois Innocence Project. And um, uh, and we also have a Facebook page, which is uh, the IIP, all one, all one word. And just let me add, Professor, that if you go to that site, uh, listeners, if you go to that site, it does uh, indicate the ca- kind of cases they take, their current cases, the, their exonerees, but it will detail on that what they're looking for on cases that are uh, alleging innocence. That's correct. And we are, I will say that we are at the point now where we, we're so over, we get about 350 requests a year um, for help. And because of our financial constraints, um, we, we can't even begin to um, move ahead on all of the deserving cases that we have to the degree that we would like. Um, and we're already taking cases well beyond the capacity mm-hmm. of the organization. Because when we look at these cases, and we look at a case like Anthony's, and I, I will never forget, and I'm sure Anthony and I have talked a lot about it, and he won't forget the day I, I went and visited him in prison, um, and we talked as we were getting involved in his case, and it, it, it becomes impossible sometimes to turn away, even though we don't, on the surface, have the capacity to take on another case. And we are just mm-hmm. exhilarated that we took Anthony's case. Uh, it was so deserving, and he is such a deserving human being. And, you know, um, you know I say that knowing he's listening, and although I've told him that a hundred yeah. Times. yeah. Well, Anthony, it's it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And you were first convicted in 1998. How did you become a target of the police investigation? Well, I had traveled down to Central Illinois, which is downstate Illinois, I'm from Chicago, and I was going to visit a lady friend and spend a couple of days with her before Father's Day. And I was scheduled to come back home for Father's Day. And while I was there, um, a crime happened at a dice game, 
and the guy who allegedly did the crime say guys from Chicago did it. So they started rounding up a lot of guys from Chicago, and that's how I got involved in it. Mm. Doing, and, doing, and doing. <laughs> go ahead. Doing I'm sorry. Time, go ahead. During the time that it happened, I was actually the, the 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 young man who was killed. I was with his family members when it happened. The young lady I went to see was actually his first cousin. Her mother and his father are sister and brothers. And I was with her at the time that he was killed. Mm-hmm. She told the police the day it happened, she told the police that I didn't have nothing to do with it, that I was with her. Also, the victim's best friend told the police who was all there, that I wasn't there. And the police told them both they'll get back with them. And they proceeded to prosecute four people for one individual act. It was a single stab wound to the heart. And they, mm. they proceeded to try to convict four people for a single act. And even guys that was there told them that I wasn't there and I didn't do it. They still proceeded to convict me for the crime. I well, was the did they base one. it on robbery, Anthony, of the, at the dice game? In the beginning, they said it was supposed to have been a robbery and then a murder for money. The young man had all his money on him. They found money in his car, money in his pocket. He had all his money on him. And the jury found me not guilty of robbery, but then turned around and found me guilty of murder. So they must have, did they charge felony murder? Is that that how they brought in four people? Yes, that was in the beginning. Yes, felony Mm -hmm. murder. Okay. And and then um, I was convicted in July of 99. Mm -hmm. Um, May... No, 98, 99, yes. July, no, no, November of 99, I was convicted, personally. May, May, pardon me, no, November 98, I was convicted. May of 99, I was granted a new trial because there was a juror on the jury that knew the victim, that knew the victim's family, that knew witnesses, and he had um, lied in the boy DR. And that's how I was able to, obtained a second trial. With my this second trial, I was not charged with the felony murder. I was just charged with first-degree murder. Okay, and so back, back, let me interrupt for a second. Back to the juror. So the juror knew the victim and evidently wanted to get on the trial to get you convicted. Exactly. Okay. Then after, after I was convicted, you know, I had family down there. He told my family that he thought I was the other guy that did it that supposedly had done it, and if he would have known, he would have never convicted me, but, you know, the damage was done then, and and that's sad today, you know, a lot of people get on juries and don't look at the facts and look at the evidence, they just believe everything that the police or the prosecutor says, and we all know that we all human, and people make mistakes, and, and you don't always be right, you can always be right all the time, and I was one of the, I was one of the people that witnessed this firsthand, that you know, when you, when a person do a crime, you look at it like, okay, a person did a crime, you go through the system, and the system don't fail you. That's how you think, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You do something, you, 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 you get punished for it, but you, you think, man, I did not do this. How am I getting charged with this? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand it. I wasn't even there. I had nothing to do with it. I had no knowledge of it. But I'm I'm not only being charged with it, but I'm, I just got convicted for it. You know, and, and it's it, it's like, it's hard to even explain how much a life it takes out of you going through something like that. And so, Anthony, what did what was your attorney doing on the first <laughs> trial? Did he not 
Did your attorney not present the evidence of your alibi witnesses? Well, yes and no. He he did not call every witness that should have been called. Uh, to to me, it was like a rush trial. It okay. was a rush trial, and he wasn't properly prepared. That's how I look. He didn't have the proper investigators do the investigative work. You know, things mm-hmm. I asked him to do, he didn't do. He just worked with what he had as opposed to he rushed my trial as opposed to prolonging it, doing the proper the proper investigating and, and getting the proper people to come to court and things of that nature. So I would say with what he had, he did a good job. The first, the first trial, mm-hmm. my lawyer in the first trial, okay, did did a good job with what he had. But within a three month span of me being charged and then going right to trial for a murder, so within mm-hmm. three months he could never had prepared properly. For sure. And, and then in my second trial, um, my lawyer just straight fumbled the ball. He he tried matlock tactics in the courtroom. He had key witnesses. Um, not able to testify because he had them in the courtroom and just trying to prove that the witness was lying, that the witness couldn't identify me or, or, or the people that supposedly been there. It was people that was there he had in the courtroom that supposedly been witnesses for me that was witnesses for me. Actually, that was at the scene of the crime. That was co-defendants of mine that said I didn't do it, that said I wasn't there, and had them in the courtroom. And then a witness that said I did it, he asked her, do she, do she see uh, any of the young man in the courtroom that was there that she looked around the corner and said, no, he's not here. Then he had him stand up. So the right that, that barred him from being able to testify for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, then he called the state star witness and the state refused to call their own star witness and knowing that she had lied, knowing that she wasn't a truthful witness. And he turned around, my lawyer turned around and called her to the stand only to help the state convict me. So my second lawyer, my second trial, basically helped send me to prison. Wow. So knowing... It's really important... I'm sorry, it's really important... Go ahead, Professor. Go ahead. It's really important to um, uh, emphasize that last point that Anthony talked about. There had been a witness who, in fact, had testified against Anthony in the first trial. Okay. okay. Professor, can, can we hang on to that? We need to take a quick break, and I, sure. I don't want to, this is important, important okay. information, so I don't want to uh, short shift it. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The just-launched Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guests are Anthony Murray, a man who spent years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and Professor Larry Golden, one of the co-founders of the Illinois Innocence Project. Uh, Professor Golden, you were just saying, you were just explaining what happened with this uh, critical witness that really convicted Anthony. Could you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, there, w- there was a witness who had testified against Anthony at his first trial, and um, uh, for a whole variety of, of reasons that have been documented, this, this, this was a woman who was not really very reliable to begin with. I mean, she had a, a history of developmental dis- disabilities and so on. So um, uh, when it came to the second trial, Anthony's lawyer um, decided um, that th- the prosecution did not call her. Um, and I think, you know, it's fairly clear that the reason they didn't call her was because right. they had no idea what she was going to say, even yeah. though she testified against Anthony in the first trial. Um, and Anthony's lawyer decided that he was going to be, you know, this great defense lawyer, evidently. I mean, we, you know, can't explore all of his motives. And he calls her, even though she testified against him at the first trial. And uh, it, it didn't work. Um, you know, she implicated Anthony again. And furthermore, there was a, another witness that um, he was going to call who, in fact, uh, would have helped um, uh, exonerate, you know, uh, Anthony from, um, in terms of his being innocent. And he had this guy in the courtroom so that this woman might be able to identify him. But by doing that, 
what he did is he prevented that witness from being able to be called and a key person who might have reinforced the fact that Anthony actually was not at this dice game and was innocent. So um, this lawyer, um, you know, I I don't know how much you want to get into this right now, but it was the key to Anthony eventually being um his case being overturned uh, mm. was on ineffectiveness of counsel. Uh, this lawyer clearly has had problems. He has been suspended uh, from practice. He's still suspended, by the way, from pr- practice in Illinois um, as a result of a, ri- a variety of um, infractions and mm-hmm. um, and admitted um, on the stand uh, at the at the final hearing that in fact he did an inadequate job and he, you know that um, he, as my partner John Hanlon would say he he fell on the sword but 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 that didn't help Anthony I mean who had already yeah. spent 14 years in prison sure. uh, before that occurred and just for our listeners uh, in case. You all don't know, a witness can never be in, in the courtroom uh, prior to their testimony. They can, they're not allowed to hear other people's testimony before they testify. Correct, right. Professor? Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's a blanket rule. I think there might be some cases where you can ask the judge if it's okay. But, but as a general matter of practice, that, that, that is true. Okay. Um, All right. And and you know I I don't know Anthony if you want to say something about how you got hold of, uh, you know how you got this particular attorney, um, because that might help explain some of what went on too. Well, yeah, how I got the particular yeah. attorney is a co-defendant of mine had um, hired him and he got my co-defendant off, and when he got my co-defendant off, my family had went to him saying, well, hey, our family member is innocent also. Can you represent us? And we gave him somewhat of $25,000 only to help send me to prison. He wasn't a, pri- a public defender. He's a private attorney. Mm-hmm. And and, and um, to further go on to what I was saying is that in the beginning, you know, when you, when you, when you go through something like this, you know, I looked at it like, hey, I did not do this. I was with the family member. I was with the family member, other victim. Who know I didn't do this? Um, I wasn't even there. I didn't do nothing, so I'm not gonna be charged this. But it took 14 years, three months, and 10 days for me to walk out of prison. And 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 when I first went behind in them prison doors and them doors slammed behind me, it was twofold. It was like, man, this where you gonna be the rest of your life? Then I heard a voice in me say, no, you're gonna fight for your life, prove that you wasn't there, prove that you didn't have nothing to do with this. So I took my time and I studied. I went to the law library and I studied. I had no knowledge of the law, only what we see on TV, things of that nature, watching watching, watching television. And I, I went in the law library and I got in the books. I learned how to look up case law. I learned how to read cases. And I, and I looked for cases similar to mine and I started studying and I started writing and, and, and typing. I was typing I'd be up all night typing, typing letters to different innocent projects, different lawyers, different private investigators, um, news reporters, journalists, everybody. I was I was writing everyone, getting on my story, and, I, and what I did, I, I wrote a I wrote a petition, like a it's like a fifteen page petition on why I'm innocent, and and I, and I titled it "Innocent Man's Claim," and I made hundreds of copies and just started, kept sending them, kept sending them, kept sending them, kept sending them, and. 
finally, I started this in maybe 2001, 2002. And okay. finally, in maybe 2009, was when the Downstate Illinois Innocent Project finally came to see me in prison, a lady by the name of Rhonda Keach. She came and visited me, and I told her my story. She said, I read it, I read it. And she said, your mom, she said, your mom wouldn't stop calling. And I just, I, some told me, let me go visit this young man and just, just see. I was curious. So she came and saw me, and after I visited, she like, I honestly believe in my heart you are innocent. She went back. She told John Hallen. She told Larry Golden. And they all came and saw me. The private investigator mm -hmm. came and saw me. And by the mm -hmm. time each and every one of them left, everyone felt that I was innocent. After, after looking into my story and reading my story, they felt that I was innocent, um, law students. And then we, it was like a family, a team. We, everybody played a part from the smallest to the largest. Whatever needed to be done, we did what we had to do. I did what I had to do from the, behind the prison walls to help in my freedom. Whatever needed to be done, I did it. And to go back, um, within the 14 years, three months and 10 days I spent in prison, I lost 15 family members, immediate family members. Mm -hmm. I was unable to go to their funerals. I couldn't see my people off. Um, I just I lost everything. I lost just about everything and, and a lot of close people to me. And, you know, to not only be in prison for something you didn't do, but to lose so many family members back to back to back to back like that um, over the years, it's just it was it was it was it was devastating. To this day, it still it still hits hard because sure. um, I, I was unable to see anyone. I couldn't go to know that none of their friends, none of their burials, none of their, my own grandparents, my dad, nobody. I couldn't mm -hmm. even go to my own father' funeral. So it's like. Um, it, it was hard. It was a hard journey. And then to be in there going through the things that I went through in prison, as far as, you know, um, the lockdowns, being disciplined for some, someone else do the whole prison, get blamed for it. And, 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 and just being in that period for something you didn't do is, is hard. And with my mom, my mom, that was my, that was my coach right there. She was the one that kept me sane. We had every week, I called home. We had a certain time I called home. If I didn't call, she automatically knew I was, we was on lockdown because she looked for that phone call. Mm -hmm. And if we was on too long, she would call there, find out what's going on. And, and she checking on her son. And, and, and it's like for years, I just didn't understand. I was like, man, why me? Why me? Why me? And then I stopped using the pity. Why me? Why me? Why me? And I said, I got to fight. Mm -hmm. And I got the show, and and I and I reached out to any and everybody from New York to California, Illinois. I wrote almost just about every innocent project, every journalist, every news report. I, I just kept writing private investigators. I wrote everybody. I even wrote ministers and reverends. I, I wrote. I, I tried to seek help any way I could, and I knew that. The state's attorney and the police officers knew that I didn't do this in the beginning. And I don't think they even cared. They just wanted the conviction. Mm -hmm. it, it was a publicity case, and they just wanted conviction. They didn't care yeah. who done it or who didn't do it. If we can convict them all, good. If if one or two get away, good. We don't care, but we need convictions. And that's how I think they looked at it. It's not a doubt in my mind that they know for a fact I wasn't there. I didn't do it. 
Uh, when you got the victim's best friend, victim family members telling you the day that it happened, that I wasn't even there, that I didn't do it, you proceed to prosecute me and, and, and to convict me by any means, then that lets me know that you really don't care. And that's mm -hmm. a person that shouldn't be sitting in the prosecutor's seat or the police that shouldn't be police officers. Not saying you got good prosecutors, you got good police, but you also have bad, and that's everywhere. You have bad people and good people, and some people really don't care. Not knowing that you you you're playing God, you're playing with people's lives. This is not this is not a game. It's people's lives that you're playing with. And so I proceeded to go throughout my prison ordeal, and then when I got downstate Illinois Innocent Project. On, on 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 my team with me, we became a family. I'm so close to these people. These are very down to earth, good people, and I'm talking my hearts to go. And it's like I thought about. Some told me one day I woke up just out out, out the blue. I was asleep and I woke up and I said, "Man, I lost so many family members that I couldn't see all, but I just gained another family." And, mm -hmm. that, and that's how I felt, and that's how I was, and that's how it's been ever since that day. And I let all of them know that. You know, mm -hmm. I lost a lot. I lost a lot. But I, I also gained a lot. You know, I, I was able to obtain my freedom through an Alfred plea. See, down in Southern Illinois, um, it's, 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 it's racist. And a young black man, you're basically not getting a fair trial down there. Um, I had an all-white jury. Um, and Each, it's like each time, Anthony, all-white jury each time? Pardon me? Each time you were, went to trial, you had an all-white jury? No, the first time I didn't. The second time I did. But the first time, they had friends of the victim on the jury. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Okay, and, and then... And, and then, with, with, with being down there, it's like, you only can get rid of so many jurors. And basically, every juror that goes through the board uh, DR either knows the police, the state's attorney, the judge. They all know each other. Everybody know everybody. It's like me coming from Chicago, being this small town, it's like they're not even listening to what I have to say. It's, mm. This is the person they go to church with. This person they play golf with. They don't believe everything they say as mm. opposed to the truth and, and not looking at the evidence at all. Because if you you clearly, if you looked at the evidence, I would have never been charged with the, with the crime at all. So that just let me know I didn't have a fair chance. And, and when, I, when I had obtained a new trial, um, August of 2012, I was granted a new trial. And within that couple months, I sat in the county jail. Uh, my lawyer, John Hanley, came and visited me on a Friday. He said, the state's attorney is willing to let you go, but you have to take an alpha plea. I said, I don't want to do that. I want to go to trial. I want to walk out of here a free man. I want to walk out of here exonerated. I, I didn't do this, and I can't do that. He said, well, we don't go to court to the beginning of next week, which was Tuesday. Mm -hmm. He said, so I didn't want to talk to you over the phone about this. I want to come visit you and let you know. He said, as your lawyer, all I, I got to tell you what the state's attorney came to me with. He said, as your friend, I'm willing to fight with you to the end. And I told him, well, we're we going to prepare for trial because I cannot do that. And so all that weekend, I'm talking to my family, my moms, my kids, and my mother say, I need you home. I say, Ma, I didn't do this. I want to walk out the right way. And I had nothing to do with this. And she's like, babe, I understand. But look how much you've been lost. Look how many years have passed. They're willing to let you go. I said, well, willing to let me go and, and admit to their mistakes is two different things. So I went the whole weekend going back for my mother about this. So I was dead set on going to trial. 
And that Tuesday morning, as we was walking over to the courthouse, um, I came through, and my mom was right in the hallway. My mom said, please, take the Alfred plea. She said, I need you home. And I looked at my lawyer. My lawyer said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't want to take it. But looking at my mom's eyes, I, I said, I don't know, it's like I didn't have a choice. And then I didn't, I didn't ever think I'd get a fat trial down there. And the Alfred plea is basically a plea where you maintain your innocence. Mm -hmm. And the state would drop the charges down to a lesser offense. And, and give you time, sir, and release you. That's basically how the alpha plea works. You maintain your innocence. They saying, okay, you maintain it, but we're gonna give him a plea. Now, who does that to a convicted murderer? If you really mm -hmm. believe this person murdered somebody, you're not gonna just release them. Right. And 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 um, it was it was hard. It was hard pill to swallow. Um, my lawyer Larry always. My lawyer Larry. Everyone always say, don't have no regrets. You made a decision, don't have no regrets. But upon my release from prison, it's like I never got out of prison. Mm -hmm. um, I was home three months, and then I get a phone call, and they tell me, oh, you got to go on a lecture on the home monitor. So I was placed on home monitor for maybe a month, month and a half, and I was taken off. After I was taken off, my lawyers um, contacted people and told them my story and my situation. Then I the prison review board took me off. I was I was taken off. The IDLC took me off electronic monitoring. Only to I went to apply for a CTA um felony programs, CP um CTA felony program, UPS felony programs. I I, I went to all kind of apprenticeship programs so as far as pipe fitting, electrician, um havoc, the heating air conditioner, um, construction only to get the door slammed on my face because of that conviction. Mm -hmm. I went through all different kind of programs, and then a man, a young man who owned Fire Cove Restaurant gave me a chance. My first job that I got since I was home, which was a year and a half I could be at home with no employment. Mm -hmm. um, I had got a job at Cove's Restaurant. And at the time I got a job at Cove's Restaurant, I was only there two, maybe three weeks, three weeks. Then I got a phone call about CDL school, truck driver school. And that was like, money-wise, it didn't compare. So I went to the boss, and I explained everything to him. He said, oh, by all means, go to truck driver school. He said, you can basically, you got a career there. You take care of your family because you're not really making good money here with us. And he said, but it would always be open for you if you want to come back. So I went to truck driving school. I, I proceeded to go to truck driving school. Right when I was starting, I get another call. We had to cut you from our program because of the conviction you have on your background. We did a background check, and we yeah. had to cut you from the program. So now I had just left a job to go to truck driving school, and now I don't have a job, and now I'm not in school. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Then a, a man that grew up with an uncle, my mama's brother, uncle of mine, he owned a construction company, and I ran into him, and I explained everything to him. He said, I've been looking for you. He said, I got a job for you. And I, right now, I've been doing construction as far as um, remodeling houses and, and buildings, apartment buildings and homes. I, mean, I started off as a laborer, just carrying the material and, and, and filling up the, 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 the garbage dumpsters and things of that nature. Then I started gradually moving up. I'm learning as I go. I never went to school for this. But I have been learning things as I go as far as roofing, as far as 
reframing homes, the uh, drywall, paint. I've been learning a lot of things by doing this this job, and, and it's just slowed down recently. It just slowed down due to the winter months. Right. And and, and 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 the job has slowed down, but when the weather breaks, I will still have my job. Um, it's just it's been a, it's been a tough road, a journey, and and a man gave me a a brace like every time a door closed, another one opened. And that's how my life basically been the last 16 years. Um, it, it's just been a long journey, and I and I say to the people out there that, you know, um, when 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 you get called in the jury pool, I'm I'll be the first to tell you. I've said this a million times. Everyone that gets locked up is not innocent, but yeah, you do have right. people that are innocent. And, yeah. and if you're going to take that jury, you got a job to do. And the best thing I say, have a conscience. If you do convict somebody, knowing your heart, you truly believe that this person was guilty. Exactly. But look at Anthony, the evidence. I'm sorry, Anthony. We need. They're telling me we need to take a break. That was the voice of Anthony Murray. Compelling story. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at one 800 447 2112 to get started. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs> You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, 
Here's Francie Kaler. Today's program is the first of five exonerees being featured in the next few weeks. Exoneree Anthony Murray is today's guest with Illinois Innocence Project co-founder, Professor Larry Golden. Um, Anthony, I, was, I just had a couple of questions or, and a comment as well. Um, you had mentioned you got a, a, a hired attorney is what, what we all call it, uh, somebody that is... Uh, hired outright instead of working through a public defender's office or a court-appointed program. And, and I just want to say that there is a general feeling out there, I'm sure you agree with me, um, of people that are charged with a crime that it's better to hire a hired attorney rather than a public defender. That yes, often a public defender is considered a dump truck, for example. Yes, That's true, and and, and it's I learned I learned over the years that a lawyer is a lawyer. If a lawyer is on a fight for you, a lawyer is on a fight for you. All lawyers are not good in certain fields. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that some public defenders are better than some private attorneys. That's very um, true. You know, there's some very committed, very excellent. Yes, ma'am. And and and, and it's, it's even with private investigators. And I was going to touch on that when I, um, before we went on break. That's what I was trying to let the listeners know that if you get on a jury, it's important that you look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. For the people out there that's going through law school, you're going to either be a lawyer, whether it's civil, whether it's criminal, you may be a judge, you may be a prosecutor. You never know where you're going to fall. You may be a police officer. But whatever you fall at, just be the best you can be and do your job as opposed don't let stereo. The stereotype, all right. all people are not the same. Meaning that no matter what race, color, right. creed you are, exactly. that don't judge people off because they're this color or because they're that color. And history teaches us that we shouldn't do that. Every time we do that, number negative comes with it. So uh, people, if people do their job, how it's supposed to be done, then a, a lot of these mistakes wouldn't happen. Like you mentioned in the beginning of the program with 1,500 people. Now, imagine that. Now, 1,500 mm-hmm. people that was able to prove, now we can imagine how many more in there that wasn't That's able right. to prove That's right. that they're innocent. Because like and, I said in the beginning, I'm not saying I'll be the first to let you know everyone in there is not innocent by a long right. shot. But right. even if it, what they say one wrongful conviction is, is a travesty to all of us. So imagine 1,500 that we was able to prove now imagine how many more thousands that we wasn't able to prove or that we're still trying to prove. It, it, it's tough. It's tough. And all this falls on, you know, police, it starts at the police station. And then and, it gets and to and the prosecutor's office. You, you know, Anthony, when you said that you paid the attorney for the second trial $25,000. Yes, ma'am. That was a red flag to me. And I don't know whether that sticks out to you, Professor Golden, but uh, to pay... For an attorney to take a murder case for $25,000 is ridiculous. That's correct. <laughs> because, first of all, they have to read the first, first entire trial transcript before they even get started. Mm-hmm. So, I, so that alone, if, if, if there's listeners out there that are considering pursuing an avenue this way, and you have an attorney that has quoted you a fee like $25,000, I would think it would be 100000 or more. Right. So right. that's that was a red flag right away when you said that. I thought, oh no. <laughs> yeah, you can't even. I mean, the, the part of the problem is 
the way this, again, we get back to my comment about the fact that the individual now is presumed guilty. Mm-hmm. It, it's not even a matter of, you know, being able to put up a good case of defense at this point. Now you have to actually prove that the person is innocent. And, and it, that's a very different standard. And so the amount of time that takes, the amount of resources that takes, um, as you know, Francie, investigation, um, you know, witnesses that you have to uh, get at, trying to get new evidence that, that would demonstrate that the individual is, is innocent. The number of hours is, is just huge. And, um, you know, uh, and this is a person didn't even live in that area. So then you've got all of those expenses. So it, 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 you're right. That, that, that 25000 sounds like a lot of money, but it's a red flag. Um, and then you've got a public defender down in that area who we've met or did, had met at that time who was absolutely overloaded in terms of the number of cases he had and didn't have the resources to do it. So the system... And we've seen this, obviously, in the last few weeks, and including last night and what's going on in this country right now. The system is in bad need of some kind of reassessment as to how we go about um, dealing with criminal justice issues. And this is just another piece of that problem that most people don't see because once somebody's locked away in prison, they can lock, they can close their eyes and just say, well, you know, this is what we've done. And, you know, these people, and they're out out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Now, I, I have another question uh, for both of you. Um, you mentioned a private investigator. Um, do you want to ho- say who that was? Did, were they helpful? Um, I, th- I think, if I remember correctly, and I don't know, um, Anthony, if if, uh, um, if Mr. Clutter was involved in, in the early part of the investigation, we also did some investigation out of our office in, in, the, in the recent years, and um, uh, Anthony mentioned Rhonda Keach as a person, a staff member who had been working in our office, and she certainly did some of the investigation. So it was, it was a collective effort in terms of really being able, and, and, and uh, John Hanlon, the lawyer, did some of the investigation. So it was a collective effort in terms of the work that went into finally getting Anthony out. And the first right. person you mentioned is, is Bill Cutter? Clutter. 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 Bill Clutter. I'm, he's going to be on our show uh, That's in right. January. You've got him on later with the David yeah. Cam case. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Actually, um, Bill Clutter did investigate in the beginning, in the early stages of my case, but mainly Rhonda Keach, John Hanlon, and law students did the rest of the investigating. Um, the major part of investigating in my case. Um, and that's what I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, what I was speaking on as far as attorneys, and you were saying the 25000 was a rare fact. That's true. And when I say I studied and I learned by going through it, they say sometimes experience is the best teacher. And I learned through experience that, and I'm this for the listeners as well, uh, anytime you get an attorney or a private investigator, it's best to have a written contract um, and then a, a proper attorney or a proper investigator that I learned does hourly wages, um, mileage, things of that nature, not just give you a set price. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, therefore, the person that's doing it, that now you know what, how they're doing their job, what they're doing, because basically every time you're having to pay a fee 
for certain work that they're doing and you know what work that's being done as opposed to a person that was just give me 20000 just give me 25000 right. I'll represent you. Right. You don't that's really know what's going on until the trial comes in. You're like, this guy ain't prepared at all. That's you know, exactly so right. it's very important that you know that, and, and it's a contract both ways. You know, um, you sign a contract to pay this person for doing this work for a certain reason. This person signed a contract that he's going to, or she or he, going to do this work a certain way for you and represent your property. And uh, on another note, real quick, um, I have a clemency petition going on right now. Um, God, Anthony, you keep, you keep preempting <laughs> me, Anthony. <laughs> You're doing great, Anthony. <laughs> fabulous. Go, for it. Go for it, my friend. <laughs> Okay, I, I have a clemency petition going on right now, and I need all the support I can get. Um, I want to be completely pardoned from this case, and um, the more support, the better. Um, I'm willing, you know, whatever we have to do, I'm willing to do. Um, Larry gave, gave everybody the website earlier, and if you contact Illinois Innocent Project website, and you can sign on as a, as, as, as a supporter of my petition. It'll be greatly appreciated. Terrific. Yeah, actually, um, what we've done is we've, uh, as part of this effort, um, uh, we have filed a petition with the Prisoner Review Board in Illinois, uh, which makes a recommendation to the governor for pardons and um, uh, executive clemency. And um, that is going to hearing in January here um, in Springfield, uh, and Anthony will have a a chance to present a much shorter, unfortunately, much shorter case to the Prison Review Board than he's had today. And we have a petition at at, um, uh, at change.org. Um, and if, if people will go to change.org um, and select the criminal justice link, they can find the Illinois Innocence uh, projects petition to the Prison Prisoner Review Board and sign on. And if every one of the listeners right now did that, we would it, it, it would be a tremendous tremendous thing for us to be able to present you know a hundred thousand names to um, to the Prison Review Board uh, on Anthony's behalf. Just getting the governor to give him a pardon so that he doesn't have to go through life with this on his record yeah. constantly. Um, and that whole Alfred plea that Anthony talked about is so horrendous. Um, the, 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 the contradiction that you would actually find somebody guilty um, of a crime but allow them before the court to maintain their innocence. It's rarely used, and we're convinced the prosecutor understood um, that um, Anthony really had no choice here um, and uh, that he probably wouldn't have won at, at, at trial if, if it had been pursued. Uh, but this was what we were left with. It's what Anthony was left with. And um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's just a bad process. And Anthony got stuck with that. So we need to get Anthony fully exonerated of this yeah. of this. Uh, crime, this charge, and um, uh, if people go to change.org and sign on, that would be just fantastic. The Alfred plea seems to allow the prosecutor to save face and have a conviction without... That's without, Yeah, okay. That's the way I take it anyway. <laughs> Whether it's yeah, right, I'm not that's sure. That's correct. I mean, you know, in, in, to give, in, in the most, most absolute honest assessment, although I think 
Anthony's perspective on this is even better than mine because I tend to even give a little bit more credence. If you have a prosecutor who really believes that it's in his own or her own conscience that they could not say for sure that if it, if it went to trial that the person would be innocent, and so they're they're at least offering them something, you know. To but but ultimately, um, you know, it's so rarely used. Um, and, and in this case, the evidence was, was so overwhelming um, that, that Anthony was innocent. It, 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 it really is a travesty. Well, um, it is a travesty, uh, Professor, and I hope that people that are listening in will definitely sign in. We're at the end of our hour. I so appreciate the opportunity for you to share your story, Anthony. Be well, and best wishes on your clemency petition. Thank you, Francis. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you, Professor Golden, for the important work you do. Well, I appreciate that, and th- and thanks for bringing this to the public. It's it's so important that people can I, can I say hear about real fast? these cases. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Can I say real fast, just to all the listeners, because I know a lot of times we be we have small time, and people be having questions and be want to know things. Anyone can contact me at three one two seven zero nine six seven nine six. Three one two seven zero nine six seven nine six. Any questions six, you seven, have, nine, I'll feel free to answer. That because is I know a great we, offer. We had short time, and I had no problem answering any questions that's, that's in my way. You're a Thank brave, you. you're you. a brave soul, Anthony. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Yes, no kidding. So, for you listeners, join me again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and like Anthony's. Every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 